Good morning. It's great to have you guys here this morning. Before we dive into the message really quickly, I want to encourage you guys. You know, there's places in your life and there are time periods where you may engage a young woman who is um, pregnant and doesn't want to be pregnant. She didn't intend to get pregnant. She's not married. And in a crisis pregnancy, oftentimes we may wonder where do we send them. Since this is Sanctity of Life or Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we wanted to really kind of encourage you guys to think about Corona Life Services. It's an excellent ministry here in Corona that has a crisis pregnancy center. And what I love about Corona Life Services is this. There's always the objection, like you care about the baby's life, but you don't care about the mother's. And actually, Corona Life Services is the answer to that objection. They do incredible things for people, for women, um, from counseling to providing supplies to even helping them find places. They're just a full-service team that cares about the baby and the mother and even the father. Um, In fact, they even care about those of you who, right now, you're really uncomfortable that I brought this concept up because you've had an abortion. And they they love you in such a way that they know that sometimes there there is a need to go through some post-abortion counseling and support groups and stuff. And they supply those for people. And they're extremely healing and extremely helpful. Many people in our church and churches around Corona have gone through that. So I want to encourage you guys, if you ever know someone and you go, where do I send them? Look up Corona Life Services. It's an excellent ministry in town that meets women right in their need for, and, and, and teenagers right in their need during a crisis pregnancy. So we want to encourage you guys to check them out, even support them if you haven't before. And so, but we're going to move forward and I would ask that you would join with me in prayer. Let's do that. Father, thank you for the, the amazing chance that we have to step into a new season here at Olive Branch. I pray that you would just energize this mission statement, energize this conversation that we're going to be having. Because Lord, what we're asking for is that you just activate us, that you use us in a ways that we've never been used before, and that that would impact eternity, not just the present. We ask that you would be exalted in this time. Challenge us, we pray. It's in your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> this is the new year, and I love at the new year to really engage and thinking through my blessings and thinking through what God has provided for me. How many of you guys actually do that practice? You actually stop and you think through your previous year and all the things God has given to you. It's a, and some, it's, a, it's a rare thing, but it's something extremely valuable that I think we should do. Because even today, even this morning, if you were to stop and list out the things that you're thankful for, you may be surprised how much would show up on that list. I mean, just for the fact that you woke up this morning, shouldn't we be thankful for that? I mean, think about it. None of us deserve today. None of us deserve the heartbeat we just received right now. We deserve to be kind of cut off because of God's holiness and never get a chance for the rest of life. But because of our sin, it's been so bad. But God's grace gave us today. God's grace gave you that breath you just breathed. God's grace allows you to think I mean, it's a gift of God to be able to think. It's a gift of God to be able to ponder him and wonder and sit down and hear words and go, wow, that's that's interesting, or this is really boring. Praise God that we have that opportunity to have emotions, to feel them rise or to fall or to just be flat. God has enabled us to have the rain. Who's not praising God for the rain lately? Of course, the drought's not over. We've all been told that. Don't don't get your hopes up. But, uh, you know, the idea is here. The, The rain is helpful. I love the rain. And I love the snowpack it's forming, and we should thank God for that. I love the fact that we have a roof over our heads right now, and we're not doing church out in the middle of the rain. Although it'd be fun, anybody want to sign up, well, we'll go try it out. But the reality is that we we have this beautiful room, we have the opportunity to communicate through technology and these other pieces. 
Not only that, you have your family. Some of you have parents and some of you have children. Some of you have aunts and uncles. All of these opportunities to connect with each other. At least we have the family of God. And you and guys, we, we have this opportunity to know each other and to grow with each other and enjoy what God is doing in each other's lives. We had the music. I mean, you ever stopped and thought about the beauty of music? Whether it's classical, rock and roll, jazz, or whatever, the, the intricacies of what God has designed just with tones and sounds and beats and rhythm. It's incredible what we get to enjoy. It's incredible what we get to have. And it's, a, it's something we should thank God for. In the church, we, we praise God that we've got Bibles, lots and lots of Bibles. You've got an opportunity to have the Word of God in your hand. You have an opportunity to sing praise to God. You have an opportunity to hear the Bible uh, preached and, you not, and not be threatened by a world around you with, at gunpoint. You have the opportunity to praise God for the ministries that care for other people, that care for our kids right now as they're worshiping God, our, our youth, that they're going to do a car wash in the rain. We should be praising God for that because those guys are going to get into your car, you know, and they're going to see what's in your car, not on your car. It's a little bit more embarrassing to see what's in your car. It's like, oh, okay. But the idea is that we can praise God for them. You can praise God for your small group. Last night we had a great small group leaders gathering, and I was praising God for just the, the, the amazing fact that well over 70% of the people in our church are in a small group. Some cases there are more people in a small group than come on Sundays and at some points during the year. That's an incredible thing. We should thank God for that. But I want to step back even further. Stop for a minute and think about what you've been given in Christ if you're a Christian. Think about what you've been handed, what you've been offered. You have the forgiveness of sin. I mean, you're not going to face hell. You're not going to remain dead. There's the resurrection. Not only that, you have the right to be before God and him not destroy you because of his holiness. He's given you his righteousness. He allows you to have access to pray. No, 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 he doesn't stop there. He adopts you as his children. He calls you his son and daughter. Not only that, he brings you in and gives you an inheritance of eternity in heaven. He gives you the opportunity to, to have his presence with you every single day. All that nasty sin and garbage he's combating and changing and he's shaping you and he's reworking you and he's enabling you to walk in him. God has given us huge amounts of things through the cross of Jesus Christ. And you know what? That should put a smile on your face. Let's be honest. That should energize your soul. It should wake you to the reality. And if it hasn't, I want to challenge. Maybe, maybe you forgot just how messed up you were. Maybe you never came to the reality of just how much debt we owed God, how much sin was weighing us down, how much burden was actually on our souls and the reactions we were having from that. And that God would love you in spite of it. And that God would love you by sending his son to bear your sins on the cross, to save you from hell, to enable you to have eternal life, to make you a son or daughter of God, to enable you to have his presence, to give you a gift to be used and a purpose in life. I mean, guys, this should be something we should praise God for. Amen? Really? You just mumbled amen to the gospel. I can either excommunicate you or lightning will strike. One or the other. But come on. Wake up. God loved you with such an incredible love. It doesn't count now. I had to goad it out of you. But in your heart, 
There should be an expression of love and overwhelming gratitude to God for what he's given you. And it is that beginning, that thankfulness that leads us to be a church. Guys, what I've got to deliver to you is an exciting thing to me. We have entered into a new season as a, uh, season as a church at Olive Branch. Um, last year in 2016, we really sat down and we began to discuss what we needed. And we talked about health. We talked about the fact that we needed a lot of health to come into the bones of the church. And, and it's not amazing and exciting to stand up and tell you all the, all the incredible health that's been brought. I mean, I'm not going to stand up here and go, check out our cool new employee policy manual book. It's awesome. I mean, it's like, Really? Or, or our elders policy handbook, or check out all our new doctrinal statement, how tough it is and how cool it is. That stuff isn't like amazing, but you got to know something. Just with that simple adjustments, just with the ability to know what we're doing, we're confident we're able to hand the church on to another generation. Just with, this, just with the clarity that's brought, we're able to make smoother decisions, more careful with how the finances are being used. And there's empowerment that's gone throughout the staff so that what you'll find is one of the happiest, most excited elder team you'll ever meet. Our elders are passionately excited. They, are a, they have a focus on the future and what God wants to do at Olive Branch that I've never seen before. The staff, guys, we love being together. We go on vacations, we don't worry. We come, when we get the end of vacation, we're kind of like, I can't wait to get back. That sounds weird, but it's true. I've heard that from more than one staff. Guys, we like what's going on. The joy of what's happening and the health of the church is starting to flow into you guys. I've had multiple people in the last few weeks come to me and say, I don't know what's going on around here, but it feels like the energy's back. It feels like God's moving. He is. It's a new season. And seasons are good. And in that new season, we gathered as elders about two months ago, and we sat down, we started asking questions about if God's doing something, what does this mean? And we started re-looking at our mission statement. <coughs> and some of you are connected to our old mission statement, and that's good. But what we felt like was it was time to state who we were in a new way. It was time to state who we were in a way that we felt was clear and something that each of us could live out and not just simply kind of go like, yeah, that's what the church is. Because guess what? Take a minute right now and do me a favor. Point at Olive Branch. Would somebody please point at Olive Branch right now? Just go ahead and take your finger and point at Olive Branch. Good. It's not the building. Just don't point at the building. We tear the building down. As long as we're together, Olive Branch exists. You're Olive Branch, not the staff. I'm not Olive Branch. Replace the pastor. Olive Branch stays because you're here. We're the church. We're Olive Branch. The mission statement that I want to unveil to you guys today is something that I want us to own because it is what a passionate Christ follower is. We don't have to lose that. We're just going to tell you how to be that. And it's simply as stated in this way. We are called to love, to live, and to share Christ wherever we go. It's that simple. Guys, we're to love Christ. We're to love him, to be connected with him, to know him. We're going to dive into this portion today, but that leads to living for him. We're supposed to go out there and engage, living the gospel out as he lived the gospel. And we're supposed to share Christ. We're supposed to share him wherever we go. We do these things here in Corona, in your home, at your work, and then we do it around the world. And we have some of you right now in Indonesia olive branchers that are trying to reach people for Jesus Christ. We have a team of you who are getting ready to go again, to sell your stuff, to move out of here and go to another country where he's not heard. And this is incredible 
what God wants to do. And this helped us go, this, this clarifies, this defines us better. And you know what I love about it? I can look at it and ask myself, am I loving Christ? Am I living for Christ? Am I sharing Christ? It's so easy just to t- take a look at my own heart. Because what you're looking at here is actually a movement in discipleship. Love comes first. You can't love Christ or you can't live for Christ and not love Christ. You just can't have that. In fact, what I want to say this morning as we dive into this idea of loving Christ is that loving Christ is the core to our response from his gospel. He he loved us and now we have to love him. Excuse me. (coughs) I still have that cough thing that's really weird. Anybody else got that thing? Yeah, I tried to evict it, but the state of California wouldn't let me. Uh, anyway, just a joke. But anyway, the core of the loving Christ is the core to our response from his gospel. The reality is that God has loved us with incredible love. Our response then ought to be love, a love of God and a love of others. It's the core. If you take it out of the middle, what you end up with is something really weird. You don't end up with a core of, of, of Christianity. You end up with religious duty. You end up with a religious form of checklists that you have to do. If you don't have love, all you have are actions. All you have is duty. Now, right there, every elementary school boy in their heart is laughing. So it's okay, guys. Uh, it, but the reality is, is that's exactly what it is. It's just duty. How many of you like Valentine's Day? Any just love Valentine's Day? Throw your hand up. If you love Valentine's Day, it's okay. Don't be shy. I'm finding it's harder to find people who love Valentine's Day. Okay. How many of you hate Valentine's Day? You just can't stand it. It's your least favorite. Okay. The rest of you are apathetic. Way to go, Americans. All right. No, no. We don't, we don't have any opinion. You know, most people I know who don't like Valentine's Day, they're like, look, I don't like Valentine's Day. Why don't you like Valentine's Day? Oh, because it's not like I don't love you every other day of the year. I mean, you ever heard that? Thank you. And guys just kind of go like, yeah, I love you every other day. Why do I need a special day to show you off? But, but think about it for a minute. Ladies, if you know it's Valentine's Day and your husband walks into the house and he's got this bouquet of roses, and he walks up to you and he goes, there you go. And suddenly he, you see him go, check. Oh, I love you. Check. Oh, and we have dinner at seven. All right. And he walks out. How many feel loved? Oh, yeah. So loved. No, duty is not love. Going through a checklist of actions isn't love. It's like, oh, thanks a lot, jerk. And the reality is some of us, we're doing that. We open our Bibles for quiet time. Check. Okay, we go to church. Check. Okay, I talk to God for my job. Check. Okay. And literally, you're living checklist Christianity. You have abandoned the love of Christ for the living for Christ and maybe some of the sharing of Christ. But when we abandon the love of Christ, what we wind up with is this legalistic oriented duty aspect. And then we judge everybody else if they're not living up to our checklists. And the reality is that's not what begins the walk of discipleship. That's not what the church is. It's a response to God's love with love. And it's the core. You see, if you don't, if you live Christ without love, yes, you got religious checklists. And if you share Christ without love, you're a salesman. Last week, I was sitting at a, um, 
at actually Starbucks right down here with a, with a friend of mine. We were having a pretty serious conversation over things that were going on in our lives. And, and up walks this girl with another guy. And um, you could tell someone was up because he stopped about five feet behind her and watched her as she goes, hi, guys, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, great. My salesman meter went, dee, dee, dee. And I'm just like, not oh, a salesperson. Sorry, I'm not very good with salespeople. But the reality is they come in, they're just like, and here's why. Because she's like, hi, I'm from the spa that's right around the corner. I'm looking at myself going, do I look like a spa guy? <laughs> I look over at my friend, I'm like, you don't look like a spa. We do not look like spa people. It doesn't matter. Your wives are spa people. I know it. I'm like, you don't know my wife? And she's not a spa person. I'm sorry. And he's like, you don't know my wife? And no, she's not a spa person. And we're just kind of like, okay. But she's like, but the Valentine's Day is coming. You do this. We're like, there's this big percentage off and all this stuff. And I'm just sort of like, you know, he was being nice. He was helping her out and as it's going along. And I'm just like, I'm sitting here going, you haven't heard me yet. You haven't listened to me once. You haven't heard what, where my position of life is. You don't know where I'm standing. You don't, you're not recognizing that I'm not a spa person. You're not going to make me a spa person. I don't spend money on spas. And she's like, but it's discounted. And right now, you can have this coupon. And we're like, okay, you can give us a coupon, whatever, for $45. I'm like, I am whipping out 45 bucks for a coupon. And I was like, I don't have $45. Oh, you can use your credit card right now. I'm just like, you didn't hear him. He doesn't want it. He tells you you don't have the money. I don't do credit. What? Uh, uh. And he's like, you use those words with salespeople. They're just like, I don't know what to do with you. You don't use credit. And it's just like, the thing that was bad about that was that she wasn't listening. She was pushing. You know why people don't like Christians sharing their faith? Because we sell. We push and we push and we push and we don't listen. We don't ask introspective questions. We don't contemplate what's going on. We've turned it not into talking about someone we love. You see, when I talk about my kids who I love, nobody sits there and goes, I'm so offended you talked about your children. I hate it when you talk about your children. If you do and you haven't told me, I'm sorry. <laughs> but when you talk lovingly about your wife, nobody's sitting around going like, you, you shouldn't do that. I'm offended you're talking about your wife. No, when we talk about the things that we love and we talk about them like we love them, it comes across radically differently. Love is the core to whatever we do as Christians. The love of God, because God loved us. In fact, that's the definition of love. In 1 John, it tells us this is love, not that we loved God, but that he sent his son as a propitiation for our sins, the one who bore our sins. Love is defined in that way. And so love actually is a very interesting thing. In our culture, love is emotion. You can fall in it. You can fall out of it. It's this thing that happens to you. Love is a, its own force in the universe almost, as I've heard many different movies and many different conversations go. But the Bible is very different with the term love. The term love in the Bible is a verb. Love is something that you do. Now, there is an emotional aspect to it. I'm not going to deny that. There are emotions with love. There's a passion with love. I mean, otherwise, it's duty. If you're just standing there going, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Are my hands high enough? I love, you know, that's not love. If you're raising your hands, wondering if anybody's seeing you, that's not love. If you're looking around at everybody else, raising your hands, going, you shouldn't do that, you're showing off, that's not love. Love is something we do that is connected to our hearts. Now, here's why I think it's something we do. 
First of all, in the book of Mark, chapter 12, if you want to go there, you can look this up for yourself, kind of stand in this. But it's a well-known passage. Jesus has just finished rebuking the Sadducees for not believing in the resurrection. Sadducees kind of ran the temple area in the first century, and so they didn't believe in a resurrection. Jesus just kind of schooled them, showing there was a resurrection, using their own texts that they agreed on. And then up comes the scribe who watches and goes, dude, this guy knows something. The scribe is a legal professional. He knows the law extremely well. So he goes up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, I want to ask you a question. What is the, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered and said, the most important is hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And Jesus immediately just takes the whole Old Testament and sums it up into two verses. He says, number one, love God. He commanded your love. The last time you checked, it's hard to command emotions. You can do it. Actors do it all the time. Love is not something that happens to you. It's something you can have. It's a choice you make. And love is something that you cultivate. It's something you you create. And when it happens, he says it's commanded. You can love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the whole of who you are. So love is indeed a verb. It's a verb of different kinds. In one sense, love is a verb of worship. Love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul. It's this idea of coming and giving God his value, giving God his worth. And we want to lift him up. We want to make him known. And what I want to point out here is that worship here at Olive Branch is not just what we do on Sunday morning. We've all got that right? It's not just singing songs. This is a great way to express worship to God. And it's one of the ways we do it. But worship is everything that you do for God except for sin. Worship can be done anywhere and everywhere. Say, really? Yes, at your job, you can worship God. And that doesn't mean you have to be there going like digging, going, I love Jesus, he made me a strong worker. Yes, I love Jesus, he filled my hole. You know, whatever, I don't know. That doesn't mean that's what you do. You don't play Christian music all the time. When you worship God at your work, here's how it works. Be the best employee or boss you can be. You excel. You honor God when you are a worthy worker. When you are someone, they go, I want more of them. They should be knocking on church doors looking for Christians because Christians do the greatest work because we care about honoring God, who is our boss, ultimately. And that becomes worship. You watch as you begin to do things for God, doing it with quality, and people start going, that's amazing. You go, wow, God, you're being glorified here. It's being the best parent that you can be. It's being the best at at managing your children. It's being the best at whatever you find yourself doing in the home, at work, or at church. You give it to him. You lay it at his feet. As long as it's not sin, which can never be worship, you can indeed worship God in whatever you're doing. And I think that's a worthy response to the love that God has given us at the beginning. Amen? He has given us all those things. Why not give him everything back? If he loved us with his life, why don't we love him with ours? Every aspect of it. And so it is a verb of of, of worship. It's also a verb of knowing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love the Lord your God with your mind. You ever stop to think about that? Oh, I'm supposed to love God with my thinking. 
Loving God is just not emotional. It's also about thinking. It's about reading what the lyrics say and thinking about what the lyrics say. It's about reading the Bible and pondering the Bible. About, I calculated this morning, about 18 years ago, I was sitting in a Bible study roughly around this time of the year. It was a college Bible study, and I, was, I had the opportunity to teach. I had just broken off a three-year relationship and an engagement like pre, a few months earlier. So I was pretty, and I'd lost my job two weeks later and got massively sick. It was one of the most miserable moments of my lives, of my life, of my lives around my, I have many lives, no, my life. And... Um, to speak. And the reality was that I finally came to this place where I was working through the word of God and just coming to this like conclusion about some things. So I shared it as a teaching at this Bible study. And when I was done, this really good looking girl came up to me. She's like, I want to talk to you. And I'm thinking, I want to talk to you. <laughs> so we wound up sitting in a room talking and, and I'm thinking, I really want to get to know this girl. I, I'd known Teresa for a little while before. This is my wife I'm talking about, but I'd known her before, but I hadn't known her. So I'm in this room with her. Perfect opportunity to get to know her. And I talked for two and a half hours straight. I didn't shut up. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. Apparently, it gave her a headache. She had to go home at a migraine. I'm like, I guess I have that effect. But it was this, this, this passion in me suddenly to get to know her more. So we got back together, and we would end up spending hours and hours and hours and hours in conversation, just asking each other questions, hearing what each other thought, thinking about how each other thought. In fact, we consider our entire relationship, which had a four-year gap after that, one long conversation that's never stopped. Because there's always something to know. When you love someone, you never stop getting to know them. You never stop learning new things about them. Especially guys, women change, so there's always something new to learn about them. <laughs> guys, we're like so standard. No, I mean, there's always something to learn. And here's, here's my point, guys. How many of us really think we figured out the infinite God? Really? Oh, I got God down, man. All infiniteness of him is in my head. No way. You think you've got God figured out? Your God is far too small. The God of the Bible is so grand and so huge, your love and desire to know him shall never end. The vistas of exploration shall never cease. The wonders of the things that you can learn about him will never come to their conclusion. You can't sit there and go, I figured that out. No, have you lived it out yet? Have you seen how God follows up behind it? Have you experienced the very truth? Or have you just settled for head knowledge? Go further. One of the reasons that we encourage you guys to deepen your time with God, to sit down in the word of God daily in prayer, is because there's never an end to knowing him. And one of the ways that you show love, one of the things that shows you you do love someone is you want to spend time with them face to face. You want to hang out with them. Same thing as with God. And so I want to encourage you, maybe this year all you need to do is begin with the simplicity of adding 10 minutes to your time with God. If you're at zero, that means you start with 10 minutes this year. If you're at three hours, just stay at three hours. You're like a super saint. I mean, that's crazy. <clears throat> but it, I think most of us could add 10 minutes. Just push it for 10 more minutes to spend time with God. And what you'll discover is that after 10 minutes every day, day after day, year after year, reminding yourself of the gospel, reminding yourself of the truths, knowing what's in this word, it begins to shape and change you. It begins to make you a person of the book and not a person of media. And this is the reason, because it makes us a person who knows God. 
and loves God. Love is a verb of knowing. But love is also a verb of self-giving. Love the Lord your God with all your strength. All your strength. Not just some of your strength. Not just with your pinky strength. No, with the whole of who you are. Every ounce of energy you can muster, give it to God. That's love. And this is self-giving. Notice how Jesus defines it. He says, greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. There is no greater definition of love than someone who is willing to lay down his life for his, now the word friend there actually can be translated the ones that he loves. Did you want to know that you love someone? Be somebody who's willing to give your life up for them. Oh, even more, be somebody who's willing to suffer pain for them. How do we know, how do we know somebody loves us, is, loves us is that they're willing to suffer on our behalf. Oh, sure, we can use words, we can give gifts, but that's not necessarily always true. But when you see somebody willing to suffer for you, to take on your guilt, to suffer through problems with you, even though they could ever run away, that's love. It's a choice. And here, God has loved us. He didn't leave us. He suffered the cross for us. And he calls us to love one another as he has loved us. And there's this beautiful reality then that happens when we gather together like this. It's one thing for me to be able to preach and, and the word of God comes out and the Holy Spirit applies it to your heart. It's another thing when you guys gather in smaller groups though. And if you're in a Bible study or a small group, a men's group or a, or a women's group, whether you're in something like that, what you'll discover is the sharing of life occurs. And when you start to share life, it becomes dangerous. Can I just say that? Anybody agree with me? You see, there's a risk involved in knowing and being known. And in our, in our small groups, in our concept of community, we say, guys, you can't do the spiritual life alone. You have to do it together. There always has to be others around you. If you're doing it alone, you're going to run out of gas. It's not going to help. There's not going to be people there to hold you up when you're weak. And there's not going to be anybody there to hold them up when they're weak. There's not going to be anybody to push you forward when you're strong. The reality is we need each other. God didn't save us in vacuums. He saved us into a community called the church. And in small groups is where your life is known and you know others. And that means suddenly you sacrifice. I've seen it over and over again in small groups where people begin to give of their life. They give of their funds. They give of their time because the others need it. And that's the beauty in a group. Now, some of you guys are going, I don't want a small group. I don't know about a small group. If that's where you're at, you need a small group. Because the value of a small group isn't seen standing outside of it. There's too much fear engaged. There's too much danger involved. But I want to challenge you that perhaps you should jump in because we have some opportunities to do so coming up. Actually, in GroupLink, it's coming up next week. GroupLink is a simple way that Justin has designed um, or has actually inherited and designed out for us to gather you people together. So we go, hey, we're groups. Suddenly from the group, a group is born. And so it's a large way. Maybe you're interested in, in a Bible study. We've got our men's breakfast Bible study that goes on, on once a month. Some, we have our women's, which does lift weekly and also does uh, mops and moms next. We even have an abs Bible study that meets upstairs for service. And they're available to form community with. Guys, there's tons of opportunities to form community if you're not ready for a small group. There's opportunity all over the place for us to have community and we shouldn't ignore it. You can't do it alone. You can't do life alone. 
And so I want to encourage you that when we love, love is, is self-giving. It's an ability for us to love other people because he loved us first. Now, last is this idea that love is a devoted relationship. It's a verb because we follow. This is what I mean by passionate Christ following. We, we love Christ by following him. We're devoted to him. Notice this verse. It's so difficult. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Really be honest with that text. I mean, it's hard to love God, to love Christ more than your kid. To love Christ more than your parents. These are the most intimate relationships of blood you can find. And Jesus says, I need to be above it. He says, I need to be so central in your life, so core to where you, how you live, I'm in front of your family. Now, that doesn't mean temporarily, like you wake up in the morning, you're like, I can't say hi to anybody, I must say hi to Jesus first. Now, that's not the idea of priority. Priority means that whatever you do, you live it through the prism and the consideration of life. You live Christ. You parent thinking, how would Christ do this? You love your spouse thinking, how would Christ do this? You go to work thinking, how would Christ do this? His core values of life come far before your organization's core values. His vision of life comes far before your family's vision of life. He is that filter which consumes all other things. And so we have this reality that he is the first of our priorities. He is the first, the center of our love. And I don't think that's bad because I think that begins to flow out in different kinds of love, self-sacrificial love. In fact, they find that people who are more consistently going to church, more consistently engaged in their quiet times, and more consistently engaged in the process of growth with Christ often have better marriages and better families. There's several, tests, there's several uh, surveys they've done in the last year that have just borne that out all over the place. But the reality is simply that love is a devoted relationship. You devote yourself to Christ, you follow after him. It continues on to the reality that this is difficult, but, it's not, <clears throat> but living for Christ, obeying him, and sharing Christ isn't as hard. Because once you love Christ, you will keep my commandments, he tells you. You love Christ, what flows out is living for Christ. And what flows out is sharing Christ. If you don't love Christ, these things are really, really hard to do. But if you realize the most difficult thing is to love Christ above all else, to give him your, your focus, the other two will be difficult. So I'm kind of narrowing it down. I believe these other two things of living for Christ and sharing Christ will flow out of our love for Christ. And so I want to call you again. What is it that you can do to grow in your love for Christ? How can you grow so that these other two things come out? In fact, it may be as simple as remembering what you did in the Unsettled Life campaign. If you took this last year, it was our goal to challenge you not to settle down in your love for Christ. We wanted you to keep going, keep following, don't get relaxed. And so how many, I mean, I'm not going to ask you guys, but many of you have made a commitment to God from this series to say, this is what I'm going to grow in. And you put the book on the shelf and you said, when, been there, done that, there wasn't a t-shirt to buy or I would have gotten it. But what was that commitment that you made? Pull the book off the shelf, look it up and find it and start living it again, start pushing back into it, start driving forward so that love can deepen. And you know, if you don't have a group right now, great opportunity for you to just go out to our table where the group link thing is and grab one of the boxes. 
Grab a few friends, Christian friends around you, and start one right now. Get challenged by the unsettled life. Jump on the, all, of the, all of the sermons and everything are online and available. You can do the whole thing as a small group. And what an opportunity to get engaged with the church where this was aimed to help us love Christ, to not stop, but to keep deepening ourselves. And every year we do a spiritual growth campaign for that fact, to grow our love of Christ so that the living for Christ and the sharing of Christ comes out. That's, what we're, that's what's going on behind that. That's the thinking behind what we do as a church. So we gather for worship to love Christ. We do these, this growth to love Christ so that living and sharing can be manifested. But you know what? Some of you guys are continuing that faith, and I want to encourage you, but some of you guys need to begin it. Some of you aren't following Christ yet. You may be a guest here today, and you've gotten a kind of a sneak peek inside the church. But, you know, I get it. Some of you guys may not be following because you're sitting here going, how do you, how do you love somebody you don't see? This doesn't make any sense. Because, yeah, it's easy to love a kid, isn't it? The kid runs up to you, Daddy, and you're like, oh, so easy to love your kid. Your spouse is with you, and you're like, oh, I love you. Oh, it's so easy to love your spouse. Oh, come on now. <laughs> it's not as easy to love something you can see. I mean, I have a great love for my mom, but she's been dead for a long time. I can't see her. Oh, but you once saw her. Okay, that's the point. Love is not grounded in your present circumstances. Love is grounded in, a, in an act of the past. Do you know why I love my kids? Because they're my kids. I saw them born. I love my wife because I chose to love my wife. There's a day called a wedding that we had. And I look back to that and I remember it. Because you know what? If I based it on my present circumstances, when my kid's in there going, <laughs> I'm kind of going like, I don't love you. I, I, I can send you out the door. There's adoption agencies all over the planet. And when I'm standing before my wife going, <laughs> She's going, I don't love you. Because our love is not grounded in our present circumstances. Our love is grounded in a past event. Whether that event was adoption of that child and they became your child, whether it's the birth of that child and they became your child, your love for them is grounded back there. The love for Christ is not grounded in your present experience of Jesus or your present experience of God. It is grounded in the fact of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And when you know that, you've got to lock in your love of God because of what he did for you, done, period, forever. But here's the thing. You can ask the question, well, how do I know that Jesus died and rose from the dead? Well, I can't answer that question unless you know your need for him. You see, I can give you all the evidences. I can unfold you every reason and historical verified fact I can give you, but unless you understand the weight of the debt of sin that you owe, and that the day in which you will be called to reckon and pay for that debt is coming, you will have no need to get to know him. Unless you understand that one day you will get to face him, and it doesn't matter, you don't have enough time left in your life, no matter your age, to pay it off, because what pays this debt is good. And every time you do good, you're just doing what you should do. Whenever you don't do good, it just adds to the debt. And there's interest on that debt that's larger than your life. And when you're under that kind of debt, there is no catching up. There is nothing you can do. You will stand before God and you will pay every last penny. Unfortunately, a place called hell. 
See, the debt of sin weighs you down there because it's a prison for debtors. But God doesn't want anybody to stay in that prison debt. He wants them out. And so what he did is he sent his son who died on a cross to pay that debt off. 100% paid in full. And then offers it not as a way to get better with God, but as a gift and love. Unless you know that need to pay off that debt, you're not going to care that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead for you. And I get it. But if you're there and you know you have that need, it's incumbent upon you to find out if Jesus really did the things that we say. And we do that at starting point. That's why we do that at starting point. One of the classes has already begun. Well, hey, more people want to do that, we'll start another one. But the point is that we want to encourage you there are answers to questions. If you're truly looking for those answers, we want to encourage you to find them. And so this morning, really the final step you have to make is if you know your need and you know he's paid it, then you just need to surrender and trust him. I want you to consider that as we continue on here. But lastly, I want you as Christians in the room to remember this is what he's given you. He took your need. He paid it off through the gift of his love. Shall we not respond with a life of love back? That's what we're going to be doing. That's our challenge, to love Christ so that we can live for Christ, share Christ wherever we go. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given to us to be in your word and to contemplate the love that you've had for us and the response that we should give back. God, where there may be some of us who are just <laughs> confused and have a lot of need in our heart, I pray that you'd meet them now with the gift of your grace. God, for others of us who have received that, would you spur in us and wake us to our first love? that we would love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, that this love would be a verb and that action and intentional love would erupt into an emotional love towards you that is deeper than anything we could have imagined, that in that we would glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.